Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and this week, honestly, I'm just going to be talking about the United States because there's just uh, there's a lot of stuff that happened that relates to fascism and the right wing in the United States this week. However, I am going to take a brief break from the United States to talk about Paraguay in See You in Hell, the segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history that concludes this episode. Starting out in Georgia, there's been an escalation in the investigation into Donald Trump and his allies' attempt to interfere with elections, uh, election counting in Georgia. Specifically, an investigation in Fulton County in Georgia uh, has pulled in Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham, uh, who now are supposed to be like testifying in the investigation in this county into election tampering. Now, as a reminder, what happened in this county was that people from the Trump administration, including Trump himself, were calling local election officials, just like, you know, volunteers or like comptroller type people. And they were demanding that they change the vote count in Fulton County. Specifically, they were trying to annul a lot of black votes in that county in order to make it flip to Trump, in order to make the state flip to Trump in the 2020 election. Now, if Giuliani or Graham flip and actually do talk uh, in this hearing or like turn on Trump and, you know, say like, yeah, he did it and it's his fault. Um, this could really crumble the house of cards that Trump still has with his administration. But it would also probably mean that they would get a lot of death threats because, uh, as the next segment is about, the United States is currently experiencing a period of what um, a lot of scholars call uh, stochastic terrorism. Now, stochastic terrorism, the idea is that it differs from uh, other forms of terrorist campaigns in that it is sort of like random or it appears random. It feels random and it's not like fully organized. However, it is definitely connected to an established network of ideology. So, for example, last week on Thursday, a man named Ricky Schiffer uh, committed suicide by cop in Cincinnati by attacking the FBI office. Uh, in the wake of their raid on Mar-a-Lago, Trump's official residence, which I'll continue to talk about later. Now, this is just the start of this sort of thing, right? Uh, Mr. Schiffer uh, wouldn't surrender. Uh, when told to surrender, he fired at officers. He fled from the FBI headquarters in, FB in Cincinnati and fled to like a cornfield and kept fighting them, and they shot him. He, he died. Uh, we now know that Mr. Schiffer was in Washington, D.C. during January 6th, he claims that he was there at the Capitol building on January 6th. Uh, we know for sure that he was in D.C. on the 5th attending an anti-Black Lives Matter rally. We also know that his social media talks very highly of organizations like the Proud Boys, the fascist organization in the United States that was a main push behind the actual storming of the Capitol. Another guy was arrested this week for making threats against the Pennsylvania FBI office. Uh, this is his. These are his words uh, from Gab, which is a right-wing uh, sort of social media network that's trying to be like, oh, it's a place where you can go and talk to people who maybe have been banned from Twitter or even places like 4chan. This is what this guy says. He says, I'm ready for the inevitable. Once you accept reality for what it is instead of what you want it to be, you can move on with your life and get prepared for the inevitable outcome. He means a civil war. To continue. Uh, I already know I'm going to die at the hands of these pieces of uh, shit, child molesting enforcement scumbags. Uh, 
that's what he wrote. Uh, he continues on to say, my only goal is to kill more of them before I drop. I will not spend one second of my life in their custody. He is in fact now in custody. Whoops. Um, but the point here is that this kind of attack, these kinds of assaults against the FBI are increasingly normal. Uh, they're just going to be normal now for a while until the heat dies down against the FBI. Speaking of more uh, stochastic terrorism, another guy has, again, committed suicide by ramming his car into the barricades at the Capitol building. Uh, he actually shot himself after refusing to submit to authorities. Uh, this turn against the FBI by the right wing uh, is a very important trend in their turn against the established parts of the government and also like conservative figures in general. I mean, you know, it it's not like the FBI was a bastion of liberal politics, right? This is the FBI. Uh, but they're turning against it because they see it as a tool of the government against their movement against the right wing. And the reason that they're all pissed off, of course, is that uh, the FBI searched Trump's private residence, Mar-a-Lago, last week. Now, I spoke about this in last week's episode, but we now know more information about this raid. We have the warrant that the FBI used to search Mar-a-Lago, which again is Trump's private residence in Florida. It's a big mansion that's connected to one of his like, you know, golf resort hotel things, right? Uh, this warrant is, uh, it's, it, it paints a really disturbing picture. Uh, it says that they are investigating Trump uh, for a possible violation of several very high level laws, uh, including the Espionage Act. Uh, which is an extremely big fucking deal, right? Uh, violations of the Espionage Act have gotten people executed by the United States before. Uh, the Espionage Act is like a life in prison type thing. Uh, essentially, this means that the FBI and the Justice Department of the United States believe that Donald Trump stole official, extremely important classified documents in order to like sell or share them with potential, like, national threat-level enemies of the United States. That's completely insane. And also, if you were paying attention during the Donald Trump administration, it's not exactly that insane or surprising at all, right? This is sort of what you might have expected from this guy if he lost and had to leave office, right? He's in it for the money. He's in it for the power. We also now have a list of the documents that they were looking for. Obviously, they don't specify exactly what they were, but they talk about what they were in general, you know, documents pertaining to this, documents pertaining to that, uh, documents of XYZ clearance level. And yeah, a lot of these were just documents of the highest possible clearance level that there is in the federal government. Obviously, the president has this clearance level. Uh, so the question isn't like, how did the president have these in his possession? Because of course he would. Uh, the question is, why did the president take them away from where they are supposed to be, which is uh, stored in the National Archive or stored with whatever branch of government they pertain to? Why did he have them in a private residence in his private home as a former president, right? Uh, we know that these include nuclear documents, like documents pertaining to maybe the location or specs of nuclear weapons that the United States has. Uh, one of the more interesting, curious ones is that one of the documents is Info RE, the President of France. So like Emmanuel Macron, but like, you know, is, what is this? Is is it like personal data? Is it like, like a rumor? Is it a scandal? We have no idea. And Trump just had this information. Why? To blackmail 
to sell? We don't know. Uh, because this is a legal process, we might actually learn some of this stuff. Now, of course, the right wing in the United States is claiming that the president gets to declassify things at will, you know, that the president can just like declassify them and that therefore this isn't a crime. Some of them have gone so far as to say that Trump can just declassify things in his head, like without telling anybody, like, you know, these are like the real president as king, president dictator, right wing types. However, uh, because this is a real legal battle with like warrants and, you know, subpoenas and things where it's entirely possible that Trump will have to appear in court someday about this. Uh, the These kinds of like, you know, just legal arguments aren't going to cut it. Uh, he needs actual lawyers. And he is facing a serious problem, which is that he can't get any actual lawyers to work for him. You know, an extremely rich, very powerful man because people just think that he's lost, right? Uh, instead, the top the top team of lawyers that Trump has assembled uh, include and is actually led by uh, some crackpot from One American News Network, uh, which is an extreme right-wing news network, uh, essentially a more fascist version of Fox News, if you're not familiar with them, uh, who spent his entire career just lauding Trump and saying that Trump is the best and that Trump can do no wrong. That is who Trump is going to have defending him against these allegations when it comes to trial. Uh, wow, it's going to be crazy. However, of course, this week has not been all bad for Trump. In fact, it concluded some extremely good news for him, the most important of which is that Liz Cheney, the daughter of Dick Cheney, former vice president, and uh, Liz Cheney, currently a representative in the United States Congress from Wyoming, has lost. She has lost her primary election against Harriet Hageman uh, to represent Wyoming in the upcoming federal election for her congressional seat this, you know, later this year in 2022. Now, Hageman is an attorney from Wyoming. Uh, she's a Trump ally. She initially backed Liz Cheney when Liz Cheney ran for Congress several years ago. This is extremely important because Liz Cheney is the leader of the Republicans who criticize Trump and who think that he should be impeached and removed from office and even potentially tried for his crimes in attempting to stage a coup you know, in 2021. Probably the only other Republican who could claim to be more connected to this effort would be Mitt Romney. Uh, but he's probably a little bit safer because he, you know, he's a Mormon who represents Utah. He's, he's, he's probably fine. Liz Cheney, however, is out. You know, she's not going to be in government anymore. Uh, this is despite her father. That's Dick Cheney, former representative of Wyoming for decades, former vice president, and a guy who has been a Republican operative essentially for the entirety of his life. He has served in Republican offices from Nixon to Ford to W. Bush to H.W. Bush. Like, this is this is a big guy, like one of the establishment figures in the Republican Party. And she's out. Um, her, her father's endorsement did nothing. And she didn't just lose by a squeak. She lost terribly. She lost by a massive margin. Uh, Hageman beat her by over 30%. What this means is that Republican realignment is over. The party is Trump's party. Uh, that's just how it is. And it doesn't seem like any of these investigations or allegations about Trump are going to change any of that. Instead, it just means that the party is Trump's party and that his loyalists aren't going to go anywhere. They don't really care about what he has done. They don't care about any of that stuff. 
All that they care about is that Trump be the leader of their party and they want him back in office leading the United States. Now I'm going to close out this episode with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm going to Paraguay in South America to talk about Alfredo Stroessner, uh, who was a former dictator in that country for several decades. Stroessner's father immigrated from Germany. Uh, his mother was a local in Paraguay. Uh, Stroessner himself, Alfredo Stroessner, was born in 1912. He attended the military academy in Asuncion, Paraguay, and did very well. Uh, he joined the army thereafter and stayed in the army essentially for the entirety of the rest of his life. He fought for Paraguay during the Chaco War, uh, which was a war between Bolivia and Paraguay over an arid region known as the Chaco, uh, which is between Bolivia and Paraguay. Uh, this war was conducted in the 1930s, and it's the bloodiest official war fought between two uh, Latin American countries in the 20th century. Uh, the Chaco War was over oil, which people believed was in the Chaco region. Unfortunately, that was essentially not true, and all of those people died in vain. 2% uh, of Bolivia's population and 3% of Paraguay's population died in this war. Uh, however, his service in the war served Storzner very well. Uh, he returned to his country and essentially joined the leadership of the military where he remained for the rest of his life. After backing the right horse in several coups, Strossner found himself in a position to lead his own coup against a former ally, uh, president of Paraguay, uh, Federico Chavez, in 1954. This led to the start of Strossner's own dictatorship, which lasted until 1989, an extremely long tenure as quote-unquote president of Paraguay. Uh, as the president of Paraguay, Stroessner was a close ally of imperialism in general. Like, whether or not the United States' government liked Stroessner, because sometimes they didn't, you know, sometimes they turned on him because of his gross and terrible human rights violations, he supported imperialism writ large. Uh, he supported the United States' invasion of various Latin American countries in order to stop the rise of communism. He supported Argentina's efforts in Central America, which eventually created the Contra scheme. Um, Stroessner was also an important person in the creation of Operation Condor, which was a cooperation amongst a bunch of South American countries to coordinate uh, oppression against communist, socialist, and other types of dissidents. Stroessner's regime also committed genocide against indigenous peoples in Paraguay, uh, something that is just on record and indisputed in the United Nations at this point. Uh, so Stroessner was a terrible dictator who ruled with an iron fist and, you know, eliminated all sorts of freedoms, including freedom of the press, uh, freedom of assembly, the ability of people to form different political parties. Uh, in one of his elections, he appeared alone, like he was the only option on the ballot. In all of the other ones, he didn't win by anything less than 80% of the vote. Uh, he was a dictator. He was eventually ousted in a coup by a former ally, just like he had done in order to establish his dictatorship in 1989. He fled to Brazil, uh, where he lived for the remainder of his life in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, uh, until 2006, when he died of a stroke, not having answered for any of his terrible crimes. So, Alfredo Stroessner, we will see you in hell. All right, that was... 
15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really enjoy the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. You can also check out my Gmail at gmail.com. Uh, that's 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right, H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism15, and again, that's 15 spelled out. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.